Unprepared to engage Mormon missionaries when they knock on your door? Perhaps the book Mormonism 101 will help. Mormonism 101, published by Baker Book. Available at your favorite Christian bookstore. Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry. And with me today is Aaron Shafawalaf, my colleague at MRM. We've been talking about some of the experiences that Aaron has had sharing his faith in Utah County, which is where Brigham Young University is located. And as you can imagine, because BYU is located there, it is really what you might say is the hotbed of Mormonism. There are a lot of Latter day Saints living in Utah County. And of course, that makes it a very good, what we call fishing hole for sharing the gospel with Latter-day Saints. And it's good sometimes to hear these stories, to know what to expect if you are to step out in faith to share your Christian beliefs with members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It gives you an idea of how they may respond and how we might be able to prepare in order to give a response to what they say. We've been looking at 2 Timothy 2.15 that says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So we should prepare for the discussions we hope to have with members of the LDS Church. You had a conversation with three BYU students one day. Tell us about that. These three students were coming back from class, and I asked if they'd like a tract, and ended up asking if they had been on missions and if they were committed Latter-day Saints, if they were still actively believing. And we ended up talking about, mostly, the nature of God. And among the three, there were two men and one young woman. And the young lady explained that the notion that God had other gods above or prior to him was just a theory. And that because we didn't know whether God had become a god, we could enjoy the common ground that God had always been God. So here's the logic. The logic is, in her view, because we don't know whether God has ever become a god, whether he had a a segment of his life where he had yet to become God, that we could therefore operate as though he had always been God, and then on that basis have common ground with historic Christians. I, I, I hope people understand I hope people can, can internalize this for a bit. That is a very common line of reasoning that I hear. The idea is that we don't know, and therefore we're protected from the consequences of our ideas if we claim ignorance. But Aaron, that makes my head hurt. And the reason why it makes my head hurt is because their prophet, not just one among many, the prophet that started this whole movement, seemed to be pretty clear about that, as you had mentioned earlier in the week with his King Follett discourse, which was a funeral message for a man by the name of King Follett. And then also his last sermon was the Sermon on the Grove, which he preached before he died. He talks about these kind of issues, and it was believed by Latter-day Saints, and it's, it's been used to give 
the LDS explanation as to how God became God. So for her to say that's just a theory uh, is confusing to me because most of the things that Joseph Smith said and kind of got put into the basic doctrines of the LDS Church, they don't look at it as theory, especially not that. Now, certainly they did that with Brigham Young, his Adam-God doctrine, even though he called it a doctrine, they started using the word theory to describe that teaching. But that's something that they've rejected, and they don't talk about that anymore. But this is something that we do here. And it is something that is still embedded in LDS thought, that God was, in fact, once a man. He was not always God, just as we are not God right right now, but we have the potential, they would say, to become God if we do everything that we're supposed to do. It's never been repudiated. It's still taught. And it's the natural outflow of other things they teach. In other words, it, it fits really well with the rest of their worldview. It's what their language suggests. And it's what, at times, they still explicitly teach. So I'm curious. What happened as a result of her explanation? So I I asked the three of them, I said, uh, consider this hypothetical. What if a person said that they were unsure if Jesus had ever sinned? And if that person said they were a Christian and that we should just carry on as though he never sinned, would that person's faith be suspect to you? One of the men that was in this group, he said that, that this would be problematic because the atonement of Jesus depends on Jesus never having sinned. So again, if, if, if someone said, you know, I'm not really sure if Jesus ever was a sinner, say, prior to his baptism. I, I don't know. It, it's, uh, it's theory. It's, uh, it's speculation. It's not official. It's a deep doctrine. No, we don't really know that. But because I don't know, we should just operate as though he didn't. As far as I know, he never did. It's as though he never did. Or as far as I'm concerned, he never did. So this Latter-day Saint responded by saying, that would be a problem because the entire atonement depends on Jesus never having sinned. I responded by saying enthusiastically, yes, you're right. For Christians, it is just as important that the Father never sinned than that Jesus never sinned. And it's just as important that Jesus never sinned as that God has always been God. So saying that we don't know if God had to become a God or if Heavenly Father was ever a sinful mortal in his past, which about two-thirds of Latter-day Saints countenance as as at least a possibility, that is just as devastating to one's faith. It, It devastates the credibility of one's genuine Christian faith. So from there, I was able to walk through the standard Isaiah passages. And in Isaiah, God is differentiating himself from the false gods. And he says that he's never learned, Isaiah 40, verses 13 and 14. He's the uh, first and the last, Isaiah 44, verses 6 and 8. He never had a God formed before or after him, Isaiah 43, verse 10. And at the end of Romans 11, Paul, in part quoting from Isaiah, says um, that no one's ever known the mind of the Lord. No one's ever given him a gift that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things. So in light of the great God of the Bible, this most high God who has always been God, what I like to do is walk from there to the incarnation. What is the significance of what I call the Christmas miracle? What is the significance of the word becoming flesh? Well, precisely because God has always been God, precisely because he's never learned, precisely because he has always been 
all-powerful, and holy, the incarnation is astounding that God would take on a human nature, that the omniscient God would become, I like to say, a homeschooled Palestinian Jewish boy, (laughs) that the God who is everywhere became spatially located. The God who is eternal became a creature in time. The God who is the most high, who cannot be wounded, became a suffering servant. So the incarnation makes sense in light of the Christian view of God. Now, the incarnation sets the stage for the atonement. Christ, who is the author of life, died on a cross. And the value of the atonement, where Jesus purchased grace for sinners, is all dependent on who the nature of God is. It's dependent on the astounding miracle of the incarnation. All of this fits together. All of this Christian doctrine is interrelated. So I I went from a discussion on the nature of God to the incarnation, to the cross, and then finally to grace. Grace makes sense in light of all of that previously mentioned, because God is doing this to show his love, to show his glory, to show his supremacy. So salvation by grace through faith, not by my works or qualifications or covenant keeping or worthiness. Salvation by grace through faith apart from works is designed to give God all the credit and me none of the credit. Well, let me stop you there because any Latter-day Saint listening right now is going to be thinking, but wait a minute, we have a doctrine of grace. What would be your response? Well, the the grace I'm speaking of is not merely necessary. It is sufficient. It does not equip me to earn or merit my exaltation. Rather, the grace I speak of is a gift freely received, which secures my eternal life in being with Heavenly Father forever. This is the grace of being with Heavenly Father forever. Uh, this is this is a, a stark gift. This is far beyond mere physical resurrection. And this is far beyond merely going to a terrestrial or terrestrial kingdom. And we should explain that in Mormonism, their understanding of grace is, A, it's an enabling power. That's how it's been described. And certainly as Christians, we wouldn't totally deny that. It's just that it's not those works that this grace enables us to do that's necessary for our justification. But then also they believe that grace, once you've done everything that you're supposed to be doing or enabled to do, that's when you get the forgiveness of sins. We would argue, no, we get that at the very beginning of our faith journey when we put our faith in what Christ did for us on the cross at Calvary. So here's another opportunity where you have to kind of explain to the Latter-day Saint where you are when it comes to that word, because that's a word we share. There's no doubt about it. They do have a doctrine of grace, but it's not the same understanding of that word. Here's my challenge to Christians. Prepare to articulate the gospel, putting those four elements together, nature of God, incarnation, the cross, and grace. Put those four together and think of them as interrelated. If you get one of the, one of the four, they all fall. You need to think of those four doctrines as all depending on one another. How did this conversation end with these three? It ended politely. They ended up taking tracks. Uh, 
I invited him to come back. I said we'd be back typically on Thursday nights and we'd be glad to talk with them. I considered it a win because none of us had lost self-control. None of us had become discourteous. None of us had become rude or exasperated with each other. And we were able to cover good, solid ground. And they were active listeners. And uh, they were even resistant to the message. So at least that communicated to me that they were understanding the message. Sometimes you'll get a superficial agreement that glosses over the meaning of what you're saying. That's a good point. We, we shouldn't always be discouraged because we see some resistance. It shows that at least they've been listening to what you say. They may not agree with us, and that's to be expected. They probably won't, at least at this phase of the conversation, because this is probably very early, and they've maybe never thought about a lot of these things, especially the way that you have presented it. So we shouldn't be discouraged when someone resists. But at the same time, I think we should also be prepared to hopefully give a response to what they may have to say and perhaps show them that our way of thinking is at least more in tune with what the Bible has to say, at least much more than what their church is telling them. We've been talking to Aaron Shafawalaf. He's a colleague here at Mormonism Research Ministry, just sharing some of the stories and experiences that he's had sharing the gospel with members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints down in Utah County, the home of Brigham Young University. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism.